TIM Podcasts. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hi, everybody. Now, the Duke University CMO survey has become world-renowned since it was founded by Professor Christine Mormon of Duke University's Fuqua School of Business in 2008. And I'm delighted to say that a special guest on the CIM Marketing Podcast today is Professor Christine Mormon herself. And we're also joined by a stalwart of the podcast, Gemma Butler from the Chartered Institute of Marketing. Hi, Christine. Hi, Gemma. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having me. Hello. Now, it will perhaps come as no surprise, Christine, to the audience that the uh, sentiment detected in the sector in the United States this year was not as good as one might hope. But actually, it was pretty extreme, was it not? That's right. Um, you know, one of the benefits of the CMO survey is that we have been collecting data for so long that we have a really interesting longitudinal view on sentiment. And so when we asked marketers, how optimistic are you about the overall U.S. economy using this zero to 100 scale that we use, where 100 is most optimistic and zero is least optimistic, they scored about 50.9. Now, just to put that in context, um, they scored 47.7 back in February of 09, which was just after you know, the Great Recession took hold. So we are very, very close in terms of the way that marketers viewed the overall economy um, at that point. You know, we climbed out and now we've sort of climbed back in. Do, did you detect any um, calls for any optimism in there or was it a universal uh, picture of misery? Well, in fact, I think the, the probably one of the biggest surprises, if you will, although now that we've looked at all the data, it really isn't very surprising at all. But initially, it was surprising to see that, in fact, um, the majority of marketers, 62% or so, in fact, reported that uh, marketing became more important within their companies uh, due to the pandemic. That's really interesting, isn't it, Gemma, that actually what's happened has been a, a negative correlation that suddenly the, the department, which sometimes fights for airtime, I think it's fair to say, depending on the organization, has suddenly been seen as more important than it was before this thing broke out. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think given given what happens in society and the fact that, you know, for the first time we were put into a lockdown situation where, you know, you can't go out and talk and your only means of communication is through, you know, phone or digital channels. I think suddenly engagement with customers uh, became even more important, you know, to keep your brand um, out there and to keep the conversations going, especially when it was a very reactive situation. We went into the lockdown and no, no one really knew what to do or what to expect. It's not like we got, um, you know, months of warning prior to this happening. It just suddenly all started to happen. So, you know, I think marketing, has certainly increased in terms of its visibility within organizations, its, its importance as a function. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen a lot of, um, of great things and a lot of innovation, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, come out of the lockdown period we've been in and are still in. Do you think that this, this sort of war footing has led, led to more creativity then? Is that, uh, and therefore, more success or...? 
Um, I think I think from what we've seen and um, what we've discussed, it's uh, you know there there has been creativity. We've seen a lot of organisations pivot is is the word, isn't it, of of, of the week, um, and you know change how they do things um, and short circuit um, a lot of uh, ways they deliver product and propositions. And I think you know there's been that increased voice um to consumers um, and, and basically organizations just trying to survive but christine they're doing this with fewer people aren't they that was a finding in the report that there's been you know quite a lot of marketing job losses even though the functions increased in importance what they're doing and in some cases doing pretty well they are doing with fewer people that's right uh the results of the survey suggest that on average uh, marketing lost about 9% or so of its headcount. Now that's an average. And if you look at the results and you sort of plotted them um, on a graph, what, we, what you would see is that the modal response was actually 0% loss. And that's about 60% of firms. So really the largest majority of firms didn't lose marketers, but then there were a lot that, that did lose some leading to that overall 9% average. So they are doing more with less. Um, you know, you might say that going digital means you might not need as many people. That's, I guess it depends a bit on the industry and the specific company. Um, I've heard from other marketing leaders that they felt maybe their marketing groups were a little on the large side and that the pandemic allowed them to sort of get right-sized. Um, and so, uh, but the point is that they are, in fact, doing more than uh, with less. And I think they did see a lot of important opportunities um, around um, exercising their digital skills and, and leveraging those to help companies during the pandemic. But nevertheless, that's interesting, isn't it, Gemma? In the United States, the, the means fallen, the, the, the amount of marketers in the U.S. economy has fallen, we think, by about 9%, but 60% of companies haven't lost anyone, any marketers, which means that actually there seems to be a recognition that in hard times, uh, marketers are valuable. So it's not just that they are doing more valuable work or they've become more important. They seem to be recognised for that from these numbers. Uh, I think it's a debate we've had, you know, ongoing for years. And I think, you know, probably most functions within most organisations are probably being expected to do more with less um, and, and, you know, the conversation I've had for the last two or three years is around how every year marketers are expected to do more with less budget. Um, and I think, you know, moving forward, it will be certainly interesting from a UK perspective to see um, how the employment market goes, because obviously we've heard a lot of different um, views on where it could go over the next couple of months. And I think now that we're going into this easing of lockdown um, and things are reopening, I think that's when we're going to start to see um, some of the fallout of the current situation. So you've got changes to the budgetary landscape for marketers, but have you also got changes in strategy? There is a public perception, I think it's fair to say, that marketing campaigns and advertising campaigns and sponsorships have become more political since the outbreak. But actually, you didn't find that to be the case, did you, Christine? No, this is a, a, a question we've been asking now for about three years, really since the Colin Kaepernick event. And I've written a little bit about this. 
because it is such an important issue, as you said. So we ask people, uh, marketing leaders, to what extent do you believe your brand should be engaged in these politically sensitive issues? And really it's about an 80-20 uh, response, 80% no and 20% yes. Uh, and we asked that question again, because we thought that uh, there was a chance that during the pandemic that companies would open up their doors and their arms, so to speak, and embrace a larger uh, sense of the social uh, milieu around them. And in fact, that was not the case. They kind of stuck to where they were. Um, and even though when we asked them, you know, what do you think consumers will prioritize, they did acknowledge, about 80% of them acknowledge that market, that consumers rather um, believe that it is important for companies to quote unquote, do good. Um, but I think there is a difference between do good, which you might view as kind of corporate social responsibility and yep. political activism. For some companies, it's worked very well, Gemma, hasn't it? Nike famously with the Colin Kaepernick saw an increase in sales from it, but it, it's only worked for a niche group of companies, hasn't it? From my personal perspective, I think you've you've got to be involved in that cause or you know driving that cause for some years to be able to have a voice and say something. I think some organisations are have been accused, you know, of of trying to raise their own profiles by by getting involved or taking a stance when you you kind of question why would you? Yeah, yeah, and the, so that's flat, Christine. It, it's 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 at a similar level that it has been in recent years. But actually, there is a trend line that's gone downwards in the sort of social environmental space. And that is actually COVID-19's had a negative effect in terms of a marketer's likelihood to make changes to their offerings, um, which are considered environment friendly. And that's perhaps not what we would expect, but that seems to me to be a bit of a negative trend. That's right. Uh, and we, we didn't expect this uh, either. We saw in, a, in the previous survey, we asked... Uh, the marketing leaders about their willingness to make changes. What were they willing to do to reduce the environmental impact um, on, you know, the world? And um, the largest percentage said that they were actually willing to change their products and services. I think about sixty percent or so. Right. And um, we then asked that same question in, during the pandemic. Um, actually, not, you know, I, I thought it would would hold for all the reasons that we've already discussed, but in fact it dropped and marketers seem to want to put an emphasis more on promotions, which are easy to change, uh, not very costly to change, um, less fundamental to the business and probably have a much weaker impact on the environment if they are changed. So I think they did retreat a little bit to pick up on what Gemma said and, and um, and this is one piece of evidence. It's, it's interesting though, I think that um, we know from the survey that marketers also believe that what is most important to consumers is having a trusting relationship with companies, yeah. more than price, more than even product quality, um, innovation. They really want a trusting relationship. So I think it's important for companies to step back, whether it's around you know, the political activism, corporate social responsibility, or environment, to think about what that actually looks like. What can they credibly and authentically and legitimately make claims about 
um, in this area and, and how can that actually bolster their relationship with customers um, in, 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 again, a very relevant and legitimate way. It does seem a bit short-termist, doesn't it, Gemma, that they've binned a few of these principles. They, they told uh, Christine's survey uh, just a year ago that they were going to do this, they were going to, they were going to aim for more environment goals and so on and so forth. And a crisis hits and suddenly they've jettisoned them, even though we know from the same survey that building trust with their customers uh, is, is an A1 priority. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's really interesting. And, and I, I, I read at the very start of um, the lockdown and the pandemic uh, an article which somebody highlighted that they predicted almost that uh, sustainability would start to take a back seat um, because of the huge economic impact the pandemic would have to organisations, that it would suddenly trigger a lot of short-term thinking, you know, how quickly can we start selling stuff again, how quickly can we start building, what's the shortest route to driving the, the economy and making money again, and uh, sustainability for people, some people is, is such a long-term sort of you know the targets are out there so far out there for some people that it's almost makes it easy if you've got the, you know dates of 2035 2040 to almost go right we'll park that because it's not as important but I, what they're not considering is the trust um element as christine said um and also the fact that you know you each time you do ignore the important sustainability issue you're causing more damage, so you're making it actually harder to, to ever reach that target anyway. As well as the, the obviously the important concerns of the environment itself, but in terms of building trust, building brand value, it doesn't seem to me to be a wise uh, medium-term strategy, even if it's a good short-term strategy. It probably isn't a good short-term strategy, but nevertheless, it has been adopted as a short-term strategy. You know, there's this fantastic, fascinating part of the report about managing marketing, which we find that since this virus crisis has hit um, the priorities of marketers are building brand value um, that connects with customers which you would think is is counter to what we've just been discussing about their binning uh, environmental objective and retaining their cur current customers um, which again might be uh, uh, counter to uh, something which is means that they're not delivering on something they promised to do and it seems to me that, that Christine the priorities that people are saying are not reflecting what they're actually doing I think you're right, um, but also putting myself in their shoes and imagining what it might have been like at the time when, you know, COVID hit, there was just so much uncertainty. I think people just hunkered down, right? And they, because they weren't sure first what was going to happen, you know, what, what they should really be doing, you know, how long was this going to last? And so, and we caught them right in basically that moment. And so I think they were conservative. Um, I expect that number will go back up. Uh, right. But just to put this in perspective, we did we did ask um, we did ask about you know the ways that they viewed COVID and, and what kinds of information they were using during the process of making their decisions. And one very negative trend that I saw was that the the largest focus was on internal sources of information. You know, it was like my top management team, my marketing team, my salespeople, I was talking to them for insights. I wasn't adopting an external focus. I didn't, you know, go and do quick research with my customers. I didn't look at my competitors, um, which were only sort of in the 40 and 50% versus the 80 on the internal sources. So people did turn inward 
Um, and I think that was a mistake. That if I were going to, we could talk a, a little bit about missed opportunities. I would say that was one missed opportunity. You could think about, you know, really checking in with customers, uh, looking at successful firms that whether they were overseas and coming out of the, the you know, the, the Chinese lockdown or the Europeans as they were progressing, uh, look outside your industry. There were a lot of opportunities for learning but I think that's another indication to go back to your point about they did look probably more inward. They became slightly more conservative in that way. It's, it's human nature, isn't it? To become more insular, more inward looking when you're shell-shocked, but it's not necessarily a good strategy, is it, Gemma, to, to sort of stop thinking customers, stop talking to your customers, instead talk to yourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of organisations started, as you say, to talk to their fellow employees and... Um, and look to management for direction. Um, from, from our perspective in terms of when we, we our content strategy, and Ben, you'll know this, we, when we went into lockdown, we made the decision to, to hold um, and to, to be very carefully release content. And, and we measured the sentiment um, of people. We measured the engagement. And you know, whilst it was a strategy that made some people nervous because we weren't pumping out loads of content, um, we did hold firm on it and, you know, we started to see what people engaged with, um, you know, because marketing isn't just about promotion and selling things, as we know, it's about that whole engagement piece and our content um, for us and for probably many other organisations has become absolutely critical in maintaining that customer relationship. And, we've, you know, we're now picking it back up again, but we did slow and we did wait to see what, you know, marketers and members and customers' reactions were to what we were putting out before we made any decisions on the next piece. They weren't typical. We can see that from the numbers. But did you see any evidence in the report, Christine, where there were some examples of wise practices like, which is we're just going to stop and see. We're going to test things very carefully. We're in a whole new paradigm. We don't really know what's hit us, but we are still going to look out at our customer and see what their priorities are and try and work out a little bit about what they're thinking. I would say the tech industry here in the United States was probably the most externally focused. So if I had to point to one sector, um, it, when we look across a number of behaviors, they seem to be more on the cutting edge. But let me just back up one uh, in one way and make one point, which is that I think the other thing that may have happened based on the evidence that I have is that marketers were pulled into a very important strategic role. So, you know, when we asked them basically, where did you put your resources? It was on building customer, uh, better customer facing digital interfaces, transforming the go-to-market business model for the company. Those are big, important roles. And so in some sense, you might call it distraction, but you may also call it elevation. And, uh, you know, part of what we were talking about earlier was, you know, the importance of marketing uh, did increase. And I think it, their attention went there um, to those activities. And, you know, maybe some of the other things that we've talked about around the environment and political activism just took back a backseat as they looked forward. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an interesting theme that comes through the report which is that you know it's 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 the headline there the sort of overarching headline is one of shell shock you know the sentiments low the numbers in terms of sectoral confidence are the worst ever yet if you dig deeper into the report you find something um very interesting which is that the budgets that people have been working with um have not uh uh 
in most cases fallen certainly at the same rate as the budgets of the organization as a whole. Um, and in actually the average uh, marketing budget um, have, uh, has gone up by 5%. I mean, I think people will find that absolutely astounding, Christine, but that is nevertheless what you found, isn't it? That's right. I was surprised as well um, until all of the pieces of this came together. Now there is, the, the average is about 5.2%, but then again, if you plot this all out, what you see is that um, there were winners and losers. So about 40%, 41.3% to be exact of companies, in fact, had a budget increase, probably on average about this 5.2. Another 30% had no change. And then 28.4% lost money, um, lost budget. So I think that that's kind of the bigger picture. But the other point that's important to, to, to note, which is what you stated earlier, is that we ask this question, we've been asking it really for since the beginning of the survey about what percent of your firm's overall budget does marketing currently account for? Um, and then also what percent of your firm's revenues does is the marketing budget uh, reflected? And both of those numbers are the highest that we've ever seen in the history of the survey. So what that means is that as revenues dropped and as probably the firm's overall budget dropped, um, marketing budgets didn't drop at the same rate. So they lifted. In fact, they lifted in the case of the marketing budget compared to the overall firm budget, 11.5% increase just since February and a 32.6% increase just since February for the basically marketing expenses accounting for what percent of your firm's revenues. So I think this is another piece of the puzzle that shows that Marketing was put on the front lines to triage, to, to deal with what was going on with, you know, helping the firms become digital and holding on to the customers that they had. Um, they were given that job. The frontline department, Gemma, the department for a crisis, uh, astounding statistic that their budgets on average have gone up since February. Yeah, I mean, it is. And I, but I guess, you know, say putting them on the front line, vo your voice suddenly became one of the most important things you had, didn't it? Um, at a time when everybody's is, is at home um, and people aren't in offices, they're not traveling, they're not going anywhere. Suddenly, you know, now's the time you've got to amplify your voice and make it louder. Um, but, you know, obviously what you then communicate has to be the right thing. And it's, you know, first of all, I guess it's communicating you're still there then it's communicating you know how you've changed potentially the delivery mode of your products if they were face-to-face -face and they become virtual and this is how we're going to do them from now on and I guess then there's an ongoing dialogue and conversation to be had you know whether it's sort of support or or selling stuff or just you know general awareness um, around what's happening so yeah, I think absolutely the voice of the organization and the communication suddenly becomes absolutely critical at uh, this time. It's good, it's good to see that, hear that recognition, but Christine, you said it's not a completely uh, uh, positive picture because you found evidence in the report of some missed opportunities as well during the crisis. Right, and you know, every company will have to think about this for themselves, but you know, when we asked marketers to tell us what they prioritized, they only weekly prioritized expanding into new offerings, you know, products and services, and building partnerships. 
And I think these are, when I think about marketing and I think about the importance of marketing, I think about growth. And, you know, even during a difficult time, this would have been, I think, an opportunity to use employees to explore, you know, new product and service opportunities, to think about partnerships that might allow them to, you know, reach new markets uh, or create more value for their customers. Uh, very few companies did that. Tech did it um, at higher rates, um, but most companies didn't. And if you believe that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, it might be the case that in constrained, in, in a constrained environment like this, that employees may have been very uh, in, engaged and interested in the idea of helping invent, you know, new product and services ideas for the company. Well, there's an old British idiom which is cling to nurse for fear of something worse. And it does seem, Gemma, that there's been a little bit of nurse clinging going on when actually there might have been some opportunity to find something better. Yeah, well, I mean, we've spoken, we spoke, I think it was a couple of podcasts ago about some of the great innovations and, and new products and, and partnerships. Um, so, you know, there's Brewdog, which is the brewery that started to make hand sanitizer. Um, and then you had, you know, Uber, who started to support the smaller independent restaurants. We had pubs turning themselves into takeaways. Um, and, you know, there, there was these, these innovations that started to come out of the start. And um, I'm, more, I'm interested in seeing how, you know, they, they take those forward. And if any of those, as we start to ease the lockdown, carry on um, and start, you know, continue to look for new ways of working and new propositions and services. Are you optimistic, Christine, that you will see a pickup in some of those indicators next year? And perhaps uh, some of the, the indicators that we want to go back down again, you will, you will see that. Yes. I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen about marketing over time is that it, it, it does pivot. It is resilient. Um, it does, if done well, it does ultimately bring the focus back to the customer and how the company can serve those customers more effectively than the competition. So I think they will have to really bring that focus in a bigger way and to think about growth and to think about novel forms of growth as well. As Gemma said, I think there are a lot of interesting opportunities out there. So I'm very hopeful. Um, and um, in fact, we asked about the skill sets that marketers would prioritize. And one of them was pivot, learn to pivot, to take advantage of important and emerging opportunities. So I think it's time to, to pivot away and make that happen. Okay, the year of innovation ahead. And just for our guests today, if they want to get a hold of this survey, Christine, where do they go? They can go to cmosurvey.org slash results, and that will give you access to three free reports. They're available over time, and this special edition survey will be there, including every question that we've asked cut by various industry and economic sectors and firm size levels so that you can get some benchmarks for your own company um, and see where you stand. If you want to know what's going on in marketing in the world's biggest economy, uh, look no further than that. Thank you very much, Gemma. Thank you very much, Christine. And we hope to see everyone on the next CIM Marketing Podcast very soon. Thank you. Thank you. CIM Podcast.